Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this passage. And as we think about what it means to be opening and uh, welcoming people, we pray that you would help us to understand the welcome that you have given us and that you would shape us by that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we continue our series called Life at the Boiling Point. So when water is heated to 212 degrees Fahrenheit, it experiences a phase change. It goes from liquid to gas. So likewise, God wants to raise our spiritual temperature so that we can see change in our life and in the world around us. And the way that God brings about change, the way that he brings about a phase change, so to speak, in our life, is through his grace. It's by his grace, through our efforts, that God works in our working changing our desires, giving us a desire to change, to pursue. So he works through something called disciplines. Sometimes they're called spiritual disciplines. This includes prayer, worship, community, serving. You're going to hear all about these, okay, in the coming weeks. Serving, giving, developing a life of gratitude, and hospitality. So it's not enough, okay, it's not enough to be passive, to sit in your nice, comfortable chair wherever you pray or meet with God and close your eyes and just say, change me. Okay? He changes you through your efforts. Oftentimes by your failure, because He forgives and renews and brings you back, teaches you, but also in your successes. But you must pursue it. So like I said last week, these are not seven easy steps. These aren't even steps, okay? That if you do them, then you're going to be a completely different person before the Summer Olympics. Instead, these practices are habits that we cultivate over the course of our life. They're not steps. It's a way of life. Okay? There are people who run, and then there are runners. Right? There are people who cook, and then... There are cooks, right? For one, it's just an action, something that you got to do. For the other one, it's embraced as a part of their life. That's kind of what I'm getting at. And so today we turn our attention to hospitality, to being a transformational presence in another person's life in a way that allows a stranger to become a friend. So this text, like most texts, it challenges us in some ways. It encourages us in others. But more than that, it paints a picture of what it could be if we're willing to break free from the status quo. So, we've just read those two verses. So what do these verses mean? Now, I know that I get paid to talk about it, but I'm going to ask you first. What do those verses mean? So if you were to say, well, Jason, it looks like God is saying that the people of Israel were strangers in Egypt, that they were treated horribly, that they were the mercy, that they were at the mercy of other people, but they didn't receive mercy they were taken advantage of, but that God treated them completely opposite of how Pharaoh treated them. And then he entered a relationship with them, not because of what they could do for him, but because for the sake of their own welfare. God entered a relationship with them, brought them out, not what they could do for him, but out of their own welfare. Therefore, Israel 
is not to treat others how they were treated by Pharaoh, but that Israel is supposed to treat people like God treated them. If you were to say that, which is a very common view, then you're correct. And good job. All right? A plus. That's one credit towards your MDiv. Okay? Good job. Yes, what we have received from God, we are to give to other people. And that includes hospitality. That includes a wide welcome. And some of you have had relationships where you could tell that the other person wasn't interested in you individually, but only what you could do for them. And that might work in business, but it's a horrible way to conduct personal relationships. It's transactional. That's Pharaoh to Egypt. You're only here in my life, in my presence, because of what you can do for me. God is not transactional. God is transformational. He enters a relationship for our good. He serves us for our welfare. And that kind of relationship increases our spiritual temperature by simultaneously providing a space for us to be ourselves. It meets us where we are at the moment. And then it gives us space to grow and to become. So God's hospitality meets us where you are in the moment. And then it allows you time to grow. Transformational, not transactional. So our lives should be shaped by how God has treated us. He welcomed you when you were a stranger, and he brought you close. Then he maintained a relationship with you, giving room for imperfection. Making allowances for imperfection. He proactively welcomed us and did what was best for us at great cost to himself. So this hospitality goes beyond being nice. Southern hospitality. And it goes to seeking what is ultimately good for the other person. This is beyond nice. There is no shortage of nice religious people. It's a call to go beyond that. So I really just want to talk about it in that way. Being open to others. To whom are we to offer this? And then what does it mean to be an open person? So really it's just the same thing. It's really a one-point sermon. It's what does it mean to be an open person? So the first verse says, When a stranger sojourns. For the people of Israel, a stranger was someone who was, didn't share your religion, and it was someone who was not of your own ethnicity. It was someone who was foreign, someone who was unknown, a newcomer. And that person comes with no inherited rights, meaning that they don't have the right to look at you and say, what's yours is mine. All right, that's a stranger. When a stranger sojourns, Sojourn. When they are in your life for a period of time, it could be a short, intermediate, or long period of time. They could be passing through, they could settle close by, or they become a permanent fixture in your life. That's what it means to sojourn. Now, why would someone sojourn? Sojourn means that you leave your people. You leave what's familiar, and you seek a new place. Why would someone do that? Well, it could be because of displacement. Displacement caused by war, by famine, or hardships. 
It could be for economic hopelessness or economic opportunity. And we have this today. People move because of jobs, right? People move because of financial calamity. They move for school, for opportunities. They move for a job. People move in order to take care of their family. People are displaced by violence, whether it's war or domestic violence. We live in a world full of sojourners. And many of us have sojourned from one part of the country to the other. And the thought is this. In regards to the strangers, they have no claim to what's yours. But in this passage, the stranger is only going to thrive if God's people not only welcomes them into the land, but welcomes them into their life. Did you notice? When a stranger sojourns, you shall do them no wrong. Verse 34. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You are not to keep the, let the stranger continue to be the stranger. You are actually called to interact with them in the way that the stranger becomes a friend. You are not to treat the, treat the stranger like a stranger, but like the native among you. In other words, you're supposed to have a disposition that says, what's mine is yours. What I've received, I share with you. You shall do them no wrong. I love the King James translation. You shall not vex him. Right? You shall not vex him. We're going to swing for the fences on that word. All right, so being a stranger means that they're not an Israelite. They're very different. They're a different ethnicity, and they most definitely do not share the same thoughts about God. And how are God's people to respond? By not vexing them. By not causing division based on differences. They are not to find fault with another person for things outside of their control. Hardships. Their ethnicity, their race, their language, or their religious heritage. Charles Ellicott, who was an English theologian, lived about 120 years ago. He said this, Having been welcomed into the community, the Israelites were forbidden to find fault with the stranger because of his nationality or throw at him the fact that he was an idolater. This is radical. This is radical in our day, much less thousands of years ago. God's call for you, if you ever wanted to know God's will for you, this is part of it, is that you would never let racial or religious differences keep you from showing transformational hospitality to someone else. Now, look, what we do about immigrants, all right, so I'm putting one foot on a landmine right now, okay? I understand that. But you're going down with me, okay? <laughs> look, what we do about immigrants or newcomers to our country or to our life is not a new question. It's just for our nation's history, we've been divided from other countries and other people's problems because of the oceans around us. But now, it's in our backyard. Now, the question is not a new one. It's just coming closer to home. Many of us want to keep the stranger a stranger. Many of us want to keep 
whatever foreigner means to you. Sometimes it means ethnicity. Sometimes it means religious belief. Sometimes it means kind of sexuality, things like that. We want to keep that stranger a stranger. We want to keep it at arm's length. Look, you can't control what other countries do. We can't control our preference for war. We can't control that. We can't necessarily control what goes on in other countries. But the passage, the focus of the passage, is not focused on other people and what you can't control. This passage is focused on what you can control, and that's yourself. God says, other people in other religions, other people in other countries may differ, but for you, people who are in a relationship with me, you are to treat a stranger like a native. You are to treat the Arab like an American. And that's hard. Let me, I was thinking about this this morning. When I was, I don't know if I've ever told you the whole, I think I shared this with our community group. I was ordained many, many moons ago. And I grew up in Mississippi, not known for its openness to anything foreign at all. <clears throat> so, uh, at my ordination service, one of my black friends attended. And he showed up maybe 10 minutes before the service. And one of my uncles, who's a racist, was, is, probably always will be, but people can change. But he's kind of testing the theory. He comes in, he sits on this side, my black friend is uh, kind of in the, in the back, um, seated with some other friends. And my uncle turns around and sees my friend, who's black. My uncle does not believe that blacks and whites should worship or live together. He gets up, leaves, goes home. He's a worship leader at a church. You are to treat the Arab like an American. You are to treat someone else like you would want to be treated. So look, you and I are not going to, before lunch today, we're not going to solve the global crisis for displaced persons, right? But we can prevent making the situation worse by finding fault with other people for something that's beyond their control. War, displacement, terrorism, economic impoverishment, we can't control what other people do, but we can control what we do. We can take responsibility for ourselves. Look at page number one. I want to read a quote to you. So when I was studying this topic, I just I found this to be very, very insightful. This is the very, very first one by Andre Nguyen. In our world full of strangers, estranged from their own past, culture, and country, from their neighbors, friends, and family, from their deepest self and their God. We witness a painful search for a hospitable place where life can be lived without fear and where community can be found. 
Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people, anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude, and do harm. But still, that is our vocation, to convert the hostess into a hospice, the enemy into a guest, and to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. To change the hostess to a hospice, an enemy to a friend. It's not transactional. It's transformational. And it comes at a cost. But the very thing that you've received from God he drew near to you when you were a hostess, when you were an enemy, or when you were a stranger, when you couldn't even recognize his face or his voice. And he drew near to you. He entered a relationship with you. He met you where you were at that moment, and he gave you space to become the person you are now. That's transformational. So our interaction with other people, and even as Christians, is to go beyond just being nice but to seeking the welfare of the person. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. In other words, the Israelites were not to just let the strangers into their land, but they, they were to welcome them into our lives. Look, the way that Jesus lived his life stood in direct, stark contrast to the religious sentiment of the time. There were a number of Jewish sects, a few of which are named in the Gospels, some who aren't, who wanted to stay holy. And they thought that the best way was to keep everyone at arm's length. Sadducees, Pharisees, Essenes, so on. To keep away from people who were different, who were strange, who were foreign. These are religious isolationists. Just me and God over here. We're just going to quarantine ourselves over here. And if you wanted to be in the good graces of these folks, then you had to be like them, talk like them, live like them, believe like them. And Jesus was actually criticized for not acting that way. You say, behold, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He didn't vex people. He didn't find fault with people because they were different. He didn't exclude. He made space for them. And do you know what that kind of life does? It drew more people to him. Mark chapter 2. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Levi was a tax collector, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Many? Many who? Religious people? Like the, super, like the saints? No. Many tax collectors and sinners. There's something very winsome about a relationship, about another person who says, I accept you where you are at the moment. And I will be with you. It's a transformational presence. It makes people willing to leave their old life and everything that they've ever known and sojourn into a new life. Jesus welcomed people. 
People do leave what's familiar sometimes because they are fleeing bad circumstances. But sometimes people are willing to leave what's familiar to experience something beautiful and welcoming. And this kind of hospitality meets people where they are. It allows for imperfection. It is a very beautiful thing. Many of you have been attracted to Trinity because of this kind of hospitality. I hear it all the time. You visited and you felt welcomed. You felt like you belonged. I often hear family. But more than that, I feel belong. I hear I belonged. That's good news and it's a good start. But I really hope that all of us would kind of move a step beyond and not just welcome one another on Sunday morning, but welcome each other into our lives. That the stranger in this midst would not remain a stranger. That some of you have worshipped here together for two or three years, and I don't even know if you know one another's names. And you're like, thank God for the name tags. Yes, I get it. I get it. But that we, as a community, would not let the stranger, wherever they sit, remain a stranger. But let me approach this from a different angle. There's a story of Zacchaeus, who was also a tax collector, who used his job to essentially rob from people and to, to enrich himself. And he didn't have many friends. And then one day, Jesus comes into town and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, I want to spend the rest of the day for you. Now, I'm not saying that hospitality is inviting yourself over, okay? But what's the response of the religious isolationists to what Jesus just said? They all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Several times, the Gospels mention that Jesus was an invited guest. He accepted hospitality and friendship from other people. He made space for others. There's two important questions that we all need to wrestle with today. Are you making space in your life to welcome other people? And are you making space in your life to enter other people's lives? It's one thing to welcome, because sometimes we think about hospitality as you. But there's also, are you willing to enter relationships with other people that you don't know? And Jesus made space for people. This has always been the case, no matter what church I've ever worked in, and I've worked in a few, where someone eventually says, look, I love the church, but I just don't feel connected it's hard. There's a lot of complex issues that goes into that. I never fault a person for asking that question or making that comment. But generally, one of the questions I eventually ask is this. When's the last time you invited someone over to your home or invited somebody out to eat? And generally, generally, the answer varies, but the average response is, I can't remember the last time. I can't remember the last time. And my response is, start there. Just start there. Just start there. And listen, how you embrace hospitality is going to look different from how somebody else embraces hospitality. There is not just one way to be a Christian. God accepts you where you are. And some of us, all of us, are at different places. There's not just one way to do it. And I know that you may have a stack of, of reasons of why you're cautious to embrace hospitality. 
But instead of me listing your objections and then giving somebody else a really good idea, and instead of listing the reasons and then rebutting them one by one, let me just acknowledge that this topic is difficult. You are probably justified in your hesitations. It's difficult to think about opening up another space in your life when your life is full of other great things and then hospitality can feel like another checklist. We're not talking about steps. We're talking about disciplines. A way of life that you adopt that shapes you over the long period of time. But what would it mean if you say, no, I absolutely can't. I hate this sermon. I hate you, Jason. I don't want to do this, okay? I understand part of that. Think nine months ahead. Think nine months ahead. What would it mean for you to embrace this kind of life nine months from now? And then work backwards. Just start where you are. Just start where you are. Don't try, as a friend of mine says, don't try to boil the ocean. Just start where you are. Before our baby was born, Barb and I tried to set up a rhythm of inviting others over to our house about twice a week. Uh, twice a week. Ha, ah, that's funny. Twice a month. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, that bar's really high there. And we just kind of made this thing of like, okay, two nights, two nights. Could we have community group and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, but on one of those visits, we would invite someone from church. And then another one of those nights, we'd invite somebody from the neighborhood. Okay? Uh, and then, why only two? Because we wanted to have space to invite others or to be accepted. Like when other people invite us out, we would be able to take them up on that. But we tried. We tried to welcome others. And we did this with varying levels of success. Sometimes we met with zero people. Sometimes we met four. Uh, four different events. But what I found out is this. If you're not intentional, it won't happen. Right? So it's better to have a plan to do it twice and only do it once. Right? Than to not have a plan and to never do it. So, we can all help one another. Right? But just think. Just think about this. And some of you do hospitality really well. I've been a, a beneficiary of your hospitality. Some of you do it really well. But there's this kind of odd thing about humans is that sometimes, and myself included, that I feel really comfortable with, with my friends. And hospitality, if you only show hospitality to your friends, or to those you know really well, then is that really hospitality and just more hanging out? So how can you keep doing what you're doing with that, and embrace that, and continue to build those wonderful relationships, but also make room for others? That's a challenge. It's hard. As I was studying this, I just found this really, really difficult. But how can we always expand kind of the boundaries of our life to welcome more people in? Let me wrap up our time by talking about Jesus. <clears throat> the Gospel of John says that he took on flesh and he dwelt among us. He became a stranger among his own people. John said, his own people knew him not. Jesus became a stranger who sojourned among us. When you read the Gospels, what does it say about Jesus? Well, he walked over there. He walked over there. Then he went over there. He was always sojourning. He was always just passing through someone's life. A period of time, 
But when he did that, he made space for others and then acted in their best interest. And instead of being welcomed, he was eventually thrown outside the city and he was killed there. That the friend of sinners became an enemy. But even on the cross, he looks over to the man next to him and says, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Even as he's dying, he's opening up the door of heaven, showing the wide welcome of God. That's our Jesus. You are not only to live out of what you've received from God, but hospitality and all the other disciplines kind of show us what we're going to receive in fullness when God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. That's to say that the reason that we practice hospitality is because in God's kingdom there will be no strangers. And the reason that we invite people to share a meal at a restaurant or our own table is because in the kingdom of heaven there is a feast to which all are invited and everyone belongs. So we're not only living in light of what we received, but we're also living in light of what we will receive in the future. Everyone belongs. So, what does it mean for you to begin to adopt this as a way of life? A way of life. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Open Show hospitality to God Himself and invite Jesus to know Him better and then to allow Him to be a transformational presence in your life Then have Him change you to raise your temperature and then change you and the world around you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your wide welcome. Thank You for Your kindness and Your generosity. Um, we pray that you would help us to embrace this message, um, that we would make allowances for where other people are and even where we are at the moment, and that we would pursue it, and that we would continually seek to find ways to, to offer to others what you have offered to us, and that's an ongoing relationship that is full of grace and compassion. Do your work in us as you see fit. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.